At Victoria University, we're open to questioning everything. Open to changing the way you study. And on August 21, we're open to giving you an unforgettable experience when you visit our campus. Join us at the VU Open Day on Sunday, August 21, 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. at Footscray Park. Register at openday.vu.edu.au today for your chance to win $2,000 worth of prizes. Victoria University, the new way to do uni. Calling all students for this amazing deal at Vodafone. Right now, students get a massive 80 gigs of data for just $40 a month on our SIM-only light plan. That's plenty of data to study, stream, share and do more of what you love. Hurry in store or online and connect to Vodafone today. Proof of valid student ID required. Offer available until withdrawn. TNC apply. Millions of despairing men, women and little children. Victims of a system that makes men torture and imprison innocent people. You cannot shake hands with a clenched fist. Produced by a nuclear exchange would be carried by wind and water and soil and seed to the far corners of the kingdom of God, the, the kingdom, kingdom of heaven. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. We're not saying that planet Earth is coming to an end. We're saying that planet Earth is about to be refurbished, spaded under, and have another chance to serve as a garden for another civilization. Most of the people in here are just your reflections. They're your mistakes. 1776 will commence again if you try to take our firearms. One million of the planet's eight million species are threatened. You are what you repeatedly do. Therefore, excellence ought to be a habit, not an act. Your lives and the credibility of the United Nations is at stake. Epstein didn't kill himself. The reason this is such an interesting time is not only because we're on the threshold of the end of this civilization. They're trying to take you out with bullshit. The experience of the past two years has proven beyond doubt that no nation can appease the Nazis. To those who can hear me, I say, do not despair. The misery that is now upon us is but the passing of greed, the bitterness of men who fear the way of human progress. The hate of men will pass and dictators die, and the power they took from the people will return to the people. And so long as men die, liberty will never perish. In the language of the U.S. Department of Defense, these are unidentified aerial phenomena. Roswell's a very interesting place with a lot of people that would like to know what's going on. Uh, there is very compelling evidence that we, uh, we may not be alone. This is the Garden of Doom. Welcome everyone into Garden of Doom. And this week we've got another one of the great authors from the Flying Disc Press family. Philip Mantle is an author and the publisher there. And he's bringing us uh, Brian Allen, who co-authored a book called The Deceptions of God and Men. Uh, I read it a couple months ago. It was a really good book. I definitely recommend it to everybody who's uh, interested in the topics. And you're going to find out what those topics are right about now. Uh, Brian Allen's joining us from the UK. And thank you so much for joining us. How are you? I'm doing real good. And thanks very much for having me on your show. Much appreciated. That's terrific. I love that accent. Is, is that Scottish? 
Yes, it is. All right. Wonderful. All right. So, uh, well, first you can tell the folks a little bit about yourself and your co-author who couldn't be with us today um, and uh, and a little bit about your backgrounds and then what got you interested into the subject. And of course, you'll tell us what the subject matter is. Sure. Yeah. Well, um, I've been around for quite a few years now. Um, I'm 78. So, you know, I've seen a fair bit of the time. Um, I got into this subject, but this is before I tell you about, about Barry, who's, who's the co-author. I got into this subject when I was around four years old, three years old, there was something I saw, something interacted with me. Um, at the time, I would have said, I thought it was a fairy, to be honest with you. But now, it's, it's only in the last 30 or 40 years that I realised it wasn't a fairy, it was actually an ET. Okay? I was laying in bed, woke up one morning, it was a summer's morning, the sun was streaming past the bottom of my bed, and close to my bed, with my, my father was a musician, he had a baby grand piano in the house, and he had a pretty big monster, big, big piano. Anyway, between me and the piano, there was this figure, maybe about three and a half, four foot high, it was standing, and it was watching me, okay? It was wearing a green one-piece suit, like a jumpsuit, and round his waist, it had, I suppose you could say a belt. It wasn't a belt. It was a device of some kind. Mm. And it was watching me. And closed my eyes, opened them, closed my eyes, opened them, and it didn't go away. And being only a kid, it wasn't threatening me. It didn't worry me too much. So I just went back to sleep again. And when I woke up, I'd gone. And that has stayed with me in my memory as as clear as the, as the morning is happened. It's absolutely fresh. And then the reason now that I think I'm pretty sure this is an ET, it was marking me. It was recognising me. And I'm going to see this thing again. I know I'll see this thing again. But um, a few weeks later, in the same room, I had a waking, I had a, I had a, a what do you call it, a lucid dream. I've had several of these things throughout my life. They're pretty amazing. You can induce them. And I would say to your listeners, if you can ever get yourself to create a lucid dream, do it because they are the most amazing things. Because you're, you're in charge of the dream. You're dreaming and you know you're dreaming and you can do what the hell you want. You can do anything you want. It's just amazing. Anyway, what I saw in this lucid dream was what you would ca- categorise now as, as a, a, a disc-shaped UFO. This is before people knew about disc-shaped UFOs. But this is what I realised it was. And I knew that this, 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 this device, this, this machine had come for me. And it was letting me see it, which is why I now tie the two together, that what I saw was an ET, and that, that was that, that was its, how it got here, in uh, this disc-shaped UFO. Anyway, that's, that's completely beside the point. But that's how I get into this subject of UFOs and ufology. And I've been interested in it ever since. Um, and for the past, I guess, 40, 45 years, I've been doing this hands-on. And then I stopped doing it hands-on because I said, well, look, as far as uh, the paranormal is concerned, because I, I got into ufology through the paranormal. I think that, that's, that's the fairest way to put this. Because I suddenly realised that the paranormal ufologies are only two sides of the same coin, only my opinion, of course. But there are many of the phenomena produced by the one and actually mirrored by the other. And uh, I could, have I seen UFOs? Yes, I have. Um, have I seen ghosts? Yeah, I've seen them too. I've carried out exorcisms. I have, ex- I have been exorcised 
twice that I know of because that, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, most of the time it's pretty good. But um, one, of the, one of the reasons I gave it up, I stopped doing it on a hands-on basis was because I've seen pretty much all there is to see is it, when it comes to this, this sort of stuff. And I've done most of it as well. And it gets to the point where you're just doing the same thing over and over and over again. And I say, well, lately I'm not anything from this, so I'm just going to stop doing it. But I would say in the last 12, 13 years, I've written 14 books. Um, the Deceptions of Gods and Men is the, is, the, is the 13th, the 14th is yet to be released. It's just called Book of Secrets. And um, the guy that I wrote it with is called Barry Fitzgerald. And Barry, he, he, he used to do a TV show. It was, I think, I can't actually remember the name of it. It was, it was a, you know, a, a proper recorded multi-episode TV series of Ghost Hunting. And he did all this stuff. The guy comes from Sligo in Ireland, and then we're very good friends. We got introduced to a third party and we realised, well, once we started talking to one another, that, that we were right sympathetical. We were going down the same road. We'd done most of the same stuff and we thought most of the same thoughts. So we, we, we just we talked around. We Skype each other on a regular basis almost every week and uh, pretty much maybe twice a week. And we chat about stuff we're doing and England, we put some stuff out there and we, we see where it goes. But we thought it was a good idea that, you know, Let's write a book together, because Barry's written a few books as well. We said, yeah, but because our writing styles are similar, and our outlook is similar, and our knowledge base is similar. So we, we, we can't outfox one another, because we always know where the other one is going, you know. So anyway, Barry came up with this deceptions of gods and men, and, and, and would have liked to get involved in it. And I talked to him, and what's that about, he told me, and I sort of went, nah. Nah, I, I, no, no, I, yeah, I doubt it. Then we talked some more, I thought about it, and I said, hey, the guy's right. He's right. Yeah, 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 okay. I'll have some of this. I'll, I'll buy into this with you. So we did. And uh, the, the section, well, I wrote various sections of it, so did Barry. He, he wrote his stuff, I wrote mine. And I said, you can't see the joints, fortunately. <laughs> and uh, the, the bit about artificial intelligence, which is a thing that, that I am particularly interested in, that, 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 that's mine. It's more, that, that's all mine, the artificial intelligence side of it. But the rest of it is a sort of a, a ripple through the deck between both of, both of us. But the, the book itself, what's it about? Okay. Um, it's about, and this, this is going to sound like a cop out, but it's about them, in inverted commas. Now, we don't know what they are, but they've been with us since the beginning of time. Okay? They have directed the human race to do stuff. Okay? They've encouraged us to do stuff. They've prevented us from... They've guided us, shall we? Just be that they've guided us. What was that word? I'm sorry? Oh, they guided us. Guided, yeah. They guided. Okay. They have guided the human race to produce an outcome because they, they want us to do something for them. Mm-hmm. Okay? Now, they need us because they need us to exist on the side of reality. Because these things, uh, I can't remember I said, they're shapeshifters and because they, ha- they, have no, they have no shape of their own. Okay, They don't look like anything we would recognise, but they can present themselves in any form to match any set of circumstances within, in any era and any culture or civilization that encounters them. They will just look completely ordinary. 
But pardon me, is, 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 it, is that why you think that it appeared to you being like three or four feet tall because you were a kid and you were about three or four feet tall? Do you know what? I never made that connection. Thanks, thanks very much for that. Yes, I much appreciate it because maybe that was my first encounter with them. Do you know, that never occurred to me until you just said it. It's never, you're probably right. Because you said you weren't scared. I'd be scared if I saw a, a little man, in, you know, in the room or something, you know. And and listen, I, you know, I, I obviously we were raised in different parts of the world. I used to associate green suits sure. with leprechauns. I've only recently learned that's that's wrong. That's that's like Lucky Charms. They wear red coats yeah. and sort of their thing. But I, I but I don't know if you would have known that, and you know, uh, or if it it just appeared. You know, if, you know, green was sort of the color of you know what what folk you know. Or kids wore to private school or church or in your village or whatever. Well, these things, how can I put this? They've been known as angels, fairies, the jinn, cryptids, the Nephilim, the shining ones, the Council of Nine, the Ennead, uh, Roman and Grecian gods, even the Space Brothers, and the Shining Ones. They've come in various forms. You'll probably have heard all these terms, but that is them. That is how they project themselves to us because, like I say, they cannot exist in a physical form unless they latch on to one of us. Okay. So they attach themselves to one of us and that gets them from the void because they live in nothing. Okay. Their side of reality, there is, there is literally a void, there is nothing there. And that's where they live. That's where they exist. And to obtain a physical form, they must latch on to one of us, and that is how they project themselves into our side of reality. And when we do, we are in effect meat machines, okay? We are just meat machines, and, and we provide the vehicle for them to exist. And when we die, if they can, if they cannot find someone else to latch on to, they have to go back to the void, and they really don't like it. They don't like being in the void because there is nothing there. Although. We think, Barry and I think, that whatever they've learned while they're here, they take this back to the void. You could almost argue that the void serves as their Akashic records for them. That all knowledge, all the knowledge they, they, they obtain goes back with them until they come back here again. Because they will get back if they can. And we tend to inadvertently bring them here. Usually through half, well, half-assed attempts at, uh, at seances, uh, meddling about with uh, Ouija boards, dangerous thing to do. I wouldn't advise your readers, your listeners, ever to do that. Do not mess with Ouija boards unless you really know what you're doing, because I've seen what they can do and what they can bring in. Anyway, that, that, that's again, that's another subject. But uh, yeah, they, they they come here, they arrive here purely because they need us. They 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 can't exist in any in anything like a physical form unless they're here to actually to provide the vehicle for them to exist in here. So, that's one That's one way of looking at it. But what they want, what their intention is, we believe, is to see, get us to create some sort of device that they can latch onto and take and, and inhabit, if you will, that they don't need us anymore, that they can exist, if you like, in, in an artificial intelligence which, which will last forever. 
So in that in that in that sense, they can come here, latch on, you become part of this artificial intelligence, that this artificial brain, this artificial being, and they can exist here completely independent of us. They don't need us after that. But so far, we haven't been able to do that. And, and as far as artificial intelligence is concerned. What we're doing, I suppose, we're, we're almost self-regulating as regards artificial intelligence because people like DARPA, you know, they, they mess around with artificial intelligence. But even they, even DARPA realises there are limits beyond which they don't really want to go because if they develop an effective AI system and they weaponise it, if they don't build in certain safeguards, it's going to kill us. It's going to wipe us out. Simple as that. And it will. Because we would become superfluous to its needs, the, the AI itself. Can, can you tell everyone what DARPA is? I know what DARPA is, but I'm not sure that everybody knows what, what DARPA is. Well, I just read a book called The Pentagon's Brain. And the author just goes right over my head. Right. It, it's, it's something like Defense Advanced Research uh, Projects, administration, something like that. They come up with all sorts of fancy weaponry, basically, for the US military. And uh, they have been messing with AI, a reliable form of AI, but it's, it's easier to do than you think because. They're like M from James Bond, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty much. In fact, uh, uh, this is going to sound like name dropping. It's not intended. But two Sundays ago, I, I was in conversation with David Ike. Now, now, David is a really nice guy. He's a genuine guy, really, really nice guy. I was up at Rosslyn Chapel with him because he was he was doing it. Uh, well, he got some girl to do a TV show for his company, which is called Iconic. And um, I've been asked along to contribute to Rosslyn, this section we're doing in Rosslyn Chapel. Because I happen to know a fair bit about it, or, or the shall we say the shadow side of it. This is a side that, you know, that the guys won't, don't want to talk about. Put it that way, because they, they can't back it up. But in Roxland Chapel, there is a portal, okay, and it's a, it's, a, it's a proper bona fide portal. I know exactly where it is. I know to the inch where it is, and down and also downstairs. This is up. This is in the body of the church itself. It's down at the east end of the church in what's called the Lady Chapel. It's at the left-hand side at the St. Matthew altar right in front of it. Well, it's right in front of the St. Matthew altar. That's where this, this portal actually is. And I'll, I'll talk about how you activate it in a couple of minutes. But downstairs, and, and David Icke actually went and had a, he stood in this place, and so stood did the producer as well, Christiane. If you go into the crypt, and along the wall about 10 yards, on your left-hand side, there's a little a little room where they used to store documents and stuff. It's actually called, they don't call it the crypt, they call it the sacristy, because it's a religious building. I mean, Rosslyn Chapel, it, that is the popular title, but it's actually the Collegiate Church of St. Matthew, that, that, that's, that's its proper name. Anyway, down in this little room, in, in the crypt, just off the crypt, there is a convergence of new lines, okay? Now, I was introduced to this, and it, this blew me away. This was back in 1995, 94, 95. That was the first time I actually experienced this stuff. Um, and if you stand on this convergence of their lines, you better be hanging on to something because you start to sway around. You can't do anything else because the way that I put it was it was like standing on, on a sheet of rubber or like standing on a ship 
and the world and the ship is heaving underneath your feet. That's what it feels like. It's a very, very strange feeling with these airlines cross. Now, David Ike stood on there, he felt this, and, and the, the girl who was actually the, 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 the producer for, for the TV show, Christiane, she really fell over. She just tried to catch it before she fell. Anyway, back upstairs, um, it was only, it was in the, the, the 1990s that I realised there was a portal at the St. Matthew altar. Because what happened was, I stood with my back to the altar, and the impression I had, I had my hands out from my side, so it was getting, getting you were getting pushed up from the floor. It was an, an incredible sensation that you couldn't stand still. You know, if I put my hands at my side, it would start just drifting up like this, and I felt I was getting lifted from the floor. And there was a couple, there was a medium with me at the time because we went, I went with a couple of mediums, and I think they were very helpful. But um, we knew there was something very strange about this, and, and over the years I started researching it. And we realised that the secret of Rosalind Chapel, we believe, is not the ley lines, it is this portal. And we just believe it was designed this way. And the key to opening it is, is there for those with eyes to see. Because anyone who's never, if, if any of your, 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 your listeners or viewers have ever been in Rosalind Chapel, and they've been down what they call the Lady Chapel, if, the, if you lift your eyes to the ceiling, there are hundreds and hundreds of cubes, carved stone cubes, and they're rising up from like stone musical instruments that have been played by angels, little statues of angels. And they come up to the ceiling and, and you know, like all these cubes, and all the cubes have different faces, and all the faces have different patterns on them. And I, we realise that these represent musical notes. Okay? Now, some, I think it was back in the 17th century, the, the Rosalind Chapel was built back in the 1300s, so an ancient building. But we think that what actually happened was, because this has been reproduced, it started out, they now they call it cymatics, but at the time, the, back in the 1700s, they were called Schladney patterns. And how, how they were made was you would like a piece of thin, thin metal, a sheet of, square, you know, a sheet of thin metal or glass. You would fix it at one point, sprinkle fine sand on it, and you would take a bow like a violin bow, and you would bow the side of the metal plate or the glass glass plate. And depending on the note you hit, the, 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 the sand would take up a pattern directly responding to that. You can try this yourself, it works. And we think that Sir William Sinclair, who built it's his money and, and, and dry that had the place built. I mean, it took about 30, 40 years to build. I mean, it's, it's, not a big, it's not a big building, but it's so ornate that it just took so long to build. So we think that he, he encapsulated or he hid in, these, in the cubes the musical notation required to activate this portal. And it, it was called, in the Middle Ages, it was called the Devil's Court or the Diabolus in Musica. And it was actually banned, this musical note was banned by the Catholic Church, specifically banned by them. And it was not to be played in any church at all. In fact, they banned its use of music completely, the augmented fourth, which, which is called the augmented fourth, because it produces feelings of dissonance or unease, shall we say. Anyway, that all went by the board here and it came back. In fact, you can hear it in the theme tune for the, from, the, from, the, from the Simpsons. I think smoke in the water, people spoke in the water. 
also, it also relies heavily on, on one of these cards. Anyway, um, we recreated. You can find everything in The Simpsons, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I love The Simpsons, but one of the funniest shows on TV still is. And um, I was working with a guy called Bill Downey, and, and Bill came up with a set of and th this was luck. I swear to God, this was absolute luck. It's a C-sharp F and A, if I remember rightly. And uh, this corresponds to a set of frequencies. So um, we created this chord, and I, I, down I actually downloaded a, a signal generator from the... Um, from the internet, and I recreated these these notes into, into one chord. Okay, in fact, we did a couple of them. Um, I produced a series of five separate chords based on on, on on these frequencies. We also, as part of these five chords, we took the name Jesus, and using a system of divination called Gematria, we broke the letters down into a series of, of, of numbers of values, if you like, and these values were used as frequencies. Iesus was, was another name that we used, which is the Greek for Jesus. Okay, now this was built because, because Bill's a church you know, for all his esoteric interests, he's still a church garden, and all this really matters to him. So, well, that's fine, you go for the building. Can, can you repeat the names so, that you use just because just of your accent? It, it might be easier to. Jesus is one. Mm -hmm. Jesus, okay. And Iesus, which is the Greek ah. version of Jesus. Okay. okay. Iesus, okay. So, we built up these frequencies and uh, I put them on a CD to, to make it easier. Did, did you try like Jehovah or Yahweh or anything like that? Did, did we never get around to that? Ah. Did, oh, stay with me, stay with me. I am. Just stay with me. Okay. So, um, in 2006, we managed to get permission from the people who run Rosalind Chapel to go into the chapel and, and do stuff. Okay. I can tell you now, there is no way they let you do this now. They just will not let anybody do anything like this in any way, shape or form. Anything that steps outside the norm, they just say no. No, just a flat no, they won't let you do it. But anyway, in 2006, I happened to have a good relationship with the guy who actually ran the chapel on a day-to-day -day basis. His son actually runs it now. Anyway, um, the, the guy's name at the time was Stuart Beatty. I think it's Simon Beatty is his son, and he runs that now. He took over from his dad. Anyway, Stuart let us in, because they always had to let us in before the paid customers get in, in case we frightened them away, you see. So um, we set up uh, a laptop, and we set up... Um, yeah, we plugged it and got it going. So we set up the, the original augmented fourth, which was, the, the, I think it was C-sharp, F and A, I think it was. And, and we, start, we started this chord going. And we've got the laptop sitting right in front of the, the, this, this, the uh, St. Matthew altar, and it's buzzing away doing its stuff. And unbeknown to us, there was another guy with us. He, he was an acoustic therapist. He went down into the crypt, and he started toning just with his voice. And so we're sort of looking at one another, waiting for something to happen, okay? And something did happen. And what it was was this. The two tones are going, one from the laptop, one from the guy down in the crypt. Then all of a sudden, a third tone kicked off on its own. We would nothing to do with us. The chapel was producing a third tone, a harmonic, completely on its own. So we sort of say, wow, whoa, what's, what's going on? Then a few seconds after that, a fourth tone kicked off. 
like look at, look at another harmonic. So the chapel is producing two tones on its own and as a direct result of the stuff we're doing. Okay. So, um, so, so this is great. Well, the guy downstairs, he didn't know what was going on upstairs because he couldn't hear it. But he stopped toning and the other two tones, click, click, just switched off. And all we were left with was the laptop and, and the, the actual augmented fourth in the chapel itself. But I was standing to one side of, of, the, of the St. Matthew altar and one of the mediums who was with us said, oh, there's something happening at the altar. So I turned around and as it was moving, I just took, just clicked off a shot, okay? And it was only after when I look at this stuff, then, then they came in and they said, they said, look, you'll need to stop because the paid customers are coming in. You'll need to stop, you guys. So we stopped. Now, we didn't get a chance to use any of the other frequencies because we were so blown away with what happened with the one we were using. And we'd love to get back in to do it sometime, but it doesn't look like that's going to happen anytime soon. So anyway, um, I had a look at the photograph I'd taken of the altar, and to my amazement, in the centre of this altar is what they call the engrailed cross of the of the thinkers. They had their own little their own version of the cross. It's called the engrailed cross, and it's only maybe about that round in the centre of the altar. Now, from somewhere, it's been illuminated. I mean, it's bright shining as, as if there's a ball of light right on this this engrailed cross. And this is what, and this this is what the camera picked up when the, when the medium said something happening on the altar. Click. And here is this, this blob of light right in the middle of, the, of this engrailed cross. Now it's clearly not a flash. Maybe if it was flash, you wouldn't have got it. The whole thing would have been illuminated. And it wasn't off a flashlight either, because a flashlight wouldn't give you that concentrated beam of light. And if it did, it would be so close you would see it anyway. So what we're left with is this anomaly that this light had been produced. Yet the chapel producing two harmonics on its own. And when I, because I was standing close to the altar when this was actually happening, I could feel an intense cold coming from the altar. And you could put your hand through it. You, you had like this barrier of cold, and it became room temperature on the other side of it again. So there was something very, very strange happening to that altar when this, this note was being played. So we think that, that Sir William Sinclair, who, as I said, built this place, you're left with a bit of a conundrum here because why did he build it? Was it purely as a, a place of worship? Which, which it, it is, because it's used, it's used to this day as a place of worship. And uh, because they have services every Sunday and they have marriage, wedding services, it's used perfectly as a church. So well, well, the other reason that it might have been built was as, as, a, as a library built of stone. Because once you're inside this chapel, and it's never been to you, you can Google it, you can, you can call up stuff on the net and have a look inside the chapel. The amount of information in this chapel carved in stone is absolutely staggering. Because a lot of people don't, we don't even know what their carvings represent, we haven't a clue. But people who do, it's Masonic, there's a lot of Masonic imagery in it, there's a lot of mystical imagery in it. There's green men all over there. There's literally about 130, 140 green men carved at the stonework. And if you walk in, if you walk in the chapel and walk around, I think it's in an anti-clockwise direction, they start off as young faces. 
And as you go around the chapel, they get older and older and older and older. So it's like the circle, you know, the, the, the cyclic nature of life and death has been depicted in these great men. But the, so the chapel, so it was a place of worship. It was a library built of stone for those who could read it. Or Sir William built this place to hide something. And he constructed this, or he, he designed this, Portal. I have no idea how he did it. No aspect. I don't know. Or maybe it's just an accident of the of the construction. But we think that he built this portal to conceal something. Once this is opened, you could put stuff into it and close it again. He also left information in these cubes that are inside the lady shop, above the lady shop. Again, you can Google all this. You have a look. It's well worth looking at. And he, he hid the key in these in these musical notations. If you can read them and if you, if you can work out, we were lucky we did, we could and we did. So I can, we also think that somehow red light is important in all this, specifically red light. And so we're wondering how on earth are you going to get red light into the chapel? Well, it turns out you can, and there is a method doing it. Like, and red light is projected into the chapel twice a year at dawn. On the east end of the chapel, above what is called the Rose Window, there's a little hexagonal. If you know where you're looking, you can see it straight away, but you've got to know where you're looking. There's a hexagonal box which is lined with mica. And in the centre of this hexagonal stone box, there is a red crystal of some sort. And twice a year, when the sunrise, you know, the sun comes up, it projects a spot of red light into the chapel. It was designed that way. What it was designed, what, what this red light was actually supposed to be projected against, we're not sure, we just don't know, because the chapel's been remodeled several times. But we think that at one time there was a, a statue or a, or a, or a, a statue of Christ would, would hang down from the ceiling, and the red light would, would strike the stick. We think that's what it was intended to do, but we also think it may have something, had something to do with, it, with this portal. Again, we haven't been able to check it, we can't check it, we just can't because they won't let us in to do anything like that. They just say no. Simple as that. They won't even act. They won't even talk about it. In fact, I wrote one of my books is called Vossler Between Two Worlds, and they used to stock it. But but because it was attracting interest, that they didn't want to stop stocking it, which is a pity. But but there you go. It's still available. It's still out there. But um, I put all my ideas about the chapel uh, into that. But. Uh, yeah, but anyway, getting back to the book, which is where we were. But these things, yeah, these things, and I'm going to just call them things because I, because there is no other way to describe those things. Um, they're looking for a, a method by which they can live in our reality full time. And the only way they're going to do that without relying on meat machines like us is through some sort of intelligence that they can't inhabit, some sort of artificial intelligence, and then they can stay here and do whatever it is they're going to do. But if they do get here and they do stay here, you can guarantee that, that, that the um, end result won't suit us very well because we would then become cities of, of, of no importance and they don't, they don't need us anymore. So the reason that we're still around is because they need us, and it's as simple as that. And it's not, it, it, there's no big deal. In this. I mean, it's a simple, it's a clear-cut choice. We're here because they need us. Once, once they can get here and they don't need us, then we're superfluous and they, they, they may well kill us off. God only really knows. I have no idea. But we think that's the way it's going to go. But the book itself goes into great detail about them 
about what they think they want and, and, and how they tend to do it. But um, your viewers would actually need to work that one out themselves, I think. Is this the same Rosalind Chapel from the Da Vinci Code book? Yeah. Okay, yeah. so there's there's a lot of Islam, Masonic, and Templar legend tied to it. Yeah, there's a lot of BS attached to it as well. I get a picture of that as well. But um, my wife and I, it was just it was just when we the, the process of coming up to shoot and actually film the Divinity Code. We happened to be in the chapel, and I was getting some photographs of the cubes because the, the, the actual. The people who actually run the chapel have been very kind and given us some big step ladders so we got, got quite close to the cube to take photographs of them. And the carpenters, these bunch of carpenters came in, disappeared in at the crib, and they were um, actually building the room. It doesn't exist, this room. What you saw in the film doesn't exist. It's a set that was put down in the crypt. And we were actually in the chapel when the carpenters came up to come in to actually construct that. So we were lucky in that respect. But yeah, that, that is exactly the same chapel. But I can, I can assure you that the room that Tom Hanks and stuff that was down, down, down in the crypt, it doesn't, it doesn't look like that. It's nothing like that at all. Oh, yeah. But you did say the San Grail uh, cross, and San Grail is Holy Grail, right? No, no, no. It's an engrailed cross. Oh, I'm sorry. It's not the Sangreal. It's not the Sangreal. Okay. No, 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 no. I heard what I wanted to hear. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. But yeah, it's um, this engrailed cross is on the St. Matthew altar and it's right, right, it's a boss right in the very centre of the altar. Okay. Right on the face of the altar. In, in, in terms of size, it's not a big altar. In fact, there are three altars. In the back of the lady, well, there are four, but one they call the high altar, which you can't get to anyway because it's like eight feet off the floor and it's, it's down where the steps, it's actually where the stairs go down into the crypt, that this altar is, is above that. But there are three altars, oh, well, here we go, there are three altars in, in Westland Chapel, the St. Matthew altar and another two whose names I can't even remember because I wouldn't understand because they, they, we just didn't have to get, we didn't have to get involved in that. But there's also what is called the Apprentice Pillar. Now, this apprentice pillar is, is a bit of an anomaly because it's an amazing piece of carving, there's nothing much about it, but according to who you read, in the, embedded in this apprentice pillar is supposedly the mummified head of Christ, the Holy Grail, and all sorts of stuff it's supposed to be in this apprentice pillar. But the, the story about the apprentice pillar is that there was, there was a, a craftsman had been assigned to actually carve this, this pillar. Which is a, actually, if you look at the pillar, it's got like twin strands of leaves actually go around it from, from the floor to the, to the top of the pillar. And it looks a bit like a DNA strand, and a lot of people have tried to say, well, it's trying to show this, this is DNA. But, well, maybe it is, who knows. But, but the story about the pillar itself is that the, 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 the guy who was going to have been charged with carving the pillar wasn't sure how to do it. So he took off somewhere and he left his apprentice who promptly carved the pillar. And when he came back, he was well annoyed, shall we say, that, that his apprentice had done this, so he killed him. And the carving of the, the, the murdered apprentice is, is, is a one, actually, it's not easy to tell you what it is, they need to be there to show you, but you can actually see the head is one of the corners, and you can actually see the scar on the forehead. But this is Masonic legend. This is straight out of the Freemasons. We're hiring a and get murdered and all the rest of it. But this is straight out of Freemasonry. 
But um, that, that again is one of the Masonic connections that attached to Roslyn Chapel. And it's, it's an amazing place. And if anyone ever gets a chance of going, I would suggest that you do because it's a genuinely astonishing building to be inside. But it's not, because the trouble is that if you pay your money and you go in, you'll be on a guided tour, almost certainly. And you'll hear what the, what the, the trustees of Roslyn want you to hear. I mean, the stuff I'm telling you about, you just won't hear that. They, just won't, they won't even go there. And if anybody, I, I know that people that, that had heard what I'd said, they'd actually go in the studio and they'd ask specific questions of all the guys, and the guys just clam up. They, they wouldn't talk about it. They refuse to talk about it. They will talk about the red light, the spot of red light that comes into the chapel, because that has been tested and know it works. Because when this was found, uh, some, a guy, the guy's dead now, I mean, I knew him quite well, he actually went into the chapel, outside the chapel, and it was when there was scaffolding all around the boat. He climbed up with a really powerful flashlight, and he shone it through, shone it into the, into the light box, and it does project a spot of red light into the chapel, so it works. So we know, we know that, that that actually is not works, and they will mention that because you know, it's relatively harmless. But the rest of it about portals and stuff, no, they, won't, they won't even go there. In fact, I doubt they actually know the full story of that anyway, but anyway, there you go. Let me see if I understand correctly. So the, the, the chapel or the church sits on ley lines. The significance of that is that it yes. allows a portal to be open if the harmonics are, if the right harmonic notes or code are played. Yeah. Uh, and that red light points to where the portal would be. Is that right? No, 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 no. The, the red light is really high up in, in, on, on the east wall of the chapel. It's above what's called the rose window, and it just it just projects into the chapel somewhere. But we suspect that it was intended to shine onto something, otherwise there's no point in it going into shining in the chapel at all. Mm-hmm. And we can only speculate about what it was actually okay. intended to shine onto. And it, but it may be connected to the portal in some way. We don't know. We just don't know. I see. So, yeah, perhaps if the portal opened, it would be maybe that's a projector or a projection, a holograph or something. I, I don't know. Oh. Well, okay, can I just say about this portal? Sure. Is that we didn't, we didn't succeed in fully opening it, but we do know that something was happening at the altar when, 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 this, when this frequency was hit, okay? And the reason we knew that there was something significant about this. I'll need to go back to the 1990s now, the first time we were actually there. With, with a couple, we went with a couple of mediums, okay, and there was a guy from the newspapers there who was interested in hearing all this stuff as well. When we went in, we were standing up in, in what is called the Lady Chapel, which, which is where St. Matthew Altar is. And an American lady walked in, one of the crowds. This is before it was all regimented. This is when you could come in and do what you wanted, pretty much. Because it's certainly not like that now. But this American lady came in and she started toning and singing. And she had this note and the chapel lit up sonically. And everybody, maybe there were dozen, maybe 20 people in the chapel, and everybody just stopped. And they all looked at each other, what is going on? And this American lady is carrying on and she's toning away quite happily, not realising what she's done. But the whole chapel sonically just lit up. It's the best way of putting it. You could, you could almost sense the sound washing and swirling about the place. Then she stopped and the, the chapel just shut down again. And this is what made me realise that sound is absolutely vital 
to get the chapel to perform if you want to get and so it's obviously been designed by Sinclair to do something special which is where the portal comes in and another thing that, 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 that was significant was again back in the 1990s which was the first investigative visit we paid was that one of the mediums who was with us said she could actually see in her mind's eye Sir William Sinclair Hi, I'm Peter Mitchell from 7 News. We'll get answers to the pressing questions. Interest rates, your health, Melbourne's famous weather, the latest in footy. Know the news. 7 News, every night at 6 o'clock. It's the weekend. As you head off to brunch with the girls, the stresses of the week melt away. Ah, eggs. Out of nowhere, a pedestrian steps in front of your Corolla. The pre-collision system activates and an accident is avoided. And you're back on your way to your precious omelette on rye. I guess you never stop smiling in a Corolla. Oh, what a feeling. Toyota. Search Toyota Corolla to learn more. Standing in the chapel, using it like a machine, okay? He was driving the chapel he was driving the forces within the chapel to do what we don't know. But uh, she, she got the sense that he knew exactly what he'd done when he built this place. It was built for a purpose, and it wasn't as, as, as ostensibly, you know, appears to be as a place of worship. It was designed to be something else, okay. not just a place of worship. One more question about the, the chapel and the key, and then we'll, uh, I've got a bunch of other questions for you. Um, sure. Which was it, Jesus, or was it the, the Greek version of Jesus? What, what what was the 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 combination of notes that were? it was it, it was done on it was, we we never get a read. we just didn't get we didn't get a chance to try it oh I see because we were so blown away by by the augmented force that we put in the first note we put in or the first columns that we tried but the, the chapel just lit up yes. that uh, we didn't get around to doing it because we were restricted by time for a kickoff we only had an hour. And the time we'd go set up and we, we got going. And we, we, we were standing watching, looking at our watches all the time because after that hour was up, we had to get out. We just had to get out. I mean, they, they were going as far as they could to let us mess in the you know, let us experiment with the place. But after that hour was up, we had to go. And as they, we got a response from the first chord and we were just feeling our way with it, get, get, you know, get a feel for this for the for subject, but not to shut down. But another thing I can tell you about the chapel is there was a group of friends, people from France used to come there once a month and they'd go down into the crypt and they would tone, okay? And it was, there were, they were if you like, melodies designed specifically to be played in Rosalind Chapel. And it was all a cappella, it was all vocal. That there was no musical instrument used, it was all vocal. And they were actually there, it wasn't, they weren't carrying out experiments at the time, but they, this group was actually in the chapel doing this stuff down in the crypt when we went in. And it just raised the hairs in the back of my neck because the whole chapel was ringing from the stuff that was coming from down in the crypt. That was astonishing. We tried to you know, talk to them and ask them what they were doing. But, but they were French and they didn't really know what we were, sort of, were asking them and I don't think if they did know they would have told us anyway because I think they had their own agenda for if they're doing this stuff in the chapel. Okay. Well, let's move back to them. And so you indicated that, that they're sort of ethereal, they're, they're non-corporeal and they're waiting for a human to die. How long can the body be dead uh, before it's not usable to, uh, to them? About, about two weeks. Oh, okay. Roughly about 40. Yeah. That's a pretty long It's not instantaneous. They can, they can hang around. 
<laughs> there's a spirit and there's a soul, if you, if you want to put it that way, because they're, they're not interchangeable. Sorry, they're quite interchangeable. The spirit and the soul, we think, are two entirely different things. And um, spirit goes immediately, bang, it's gone. When you're dead, spirit's gone. But the soul hangs around, and they, if you like, they inhabit the soul, is the best way of putting this. <laughs> It's a subject that a lot of people don't like talking about because because you get into you know beliefs and faiths and all the rest of it. But but you're going to confront this sort of stuff when you're dealing with them. And, and we've had to do this. And we got some pushback from people who weren't very happy about you know going down this road. But eventually they accepted that what we were doing was similar to seeing what we're seeing and doing. Well, yeah, for and, obvious uh, reasons, it's a, it's, it's, you know, I mean, it, it smacks in the face of any re- religion has any tie to resurrection in it, and and it also, you know, almost is, uh, you know, a somewhat rosier picture of, you know, vampirism, va- zo- zombieism, revenants, you know, whatever yeah, word yeah. you want to use. Um, so yeah, that that's 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 you know, obviously, it's going to get pushback um, from institutions um that that's interesting um so it so they can't inhabit a living human they're they're not like they can't be parasitical or synergistic they can inhabit a living human being of course they can for how long forever no for just for as long as the person is alive Okay. Do you think maybe I listen? I, I'm reaching now, but uh, the, the Sir William, I forget Sinclair, I think was his name. Do you think maybe yeah, he was yeah. maybe he was possessed, and that's how he knew how to build what he built? This is what I love about doing shows with guys like you, because <laughs> you analyze it. Yeah, you analyze it. You see that never occurred. That again, that never occurred to me. But when you're talking about them, they are so basic. They're so fundamental to our life to what we are, where we are, you tend to forget that they are part and parcel of the fabric of reality. That the, the reality that we inhabit, they are part of it. So you just, you can't get away from them. So that, that, that's an excellent idea. That, that's absolutely good. And I'm going to steal it. So there you go. It's, please, feel free. I mean, I'm asking you the question. You're sure the, you're the only one I know that can put it put it to use. Um, yeah, I've talked to a lot of people about you know, the fair folk. And, you know, of course, I've heard about sound resonance. A lot of people have theories about pyramids and sounds. And this is, this is, this is no different than, than that. And, and lots of spiritualities have, have sounds associated with them. The Tibetan medicine bowls for one. Um, so yeah, this is, you know, you know, a lot of things tie in and the, the theory of, of them, I mean, it isn't really so far removed from the inspiration for the show. I mean, I, I couldn't put it into words or a theory. It's just, you know, I was wondering why there's so many cross cultural, you know, over time and space on Earth, uh, things that are similar. So this this really does ex- uh, uh, offer an explanation. Now, it's I don't know that you know the answers, and, and it's okay if you don't. But if they're non corporeal, do we know if they're extra dimensional or are they from another planet or or they they've just they've been tied to earth as far as we know it perhaps other planets too who knows wherever there's intelligent life but uh are they are they of this earth or are they of someplace else they are of someplace else um, they interface with us they may well exist in, in, in other galaxies they may well do but they would need to be interfacing with 
some sort of living being. To say that they're extraterrestrial, I suppose you could define them as extraterrestrial in that they don't belong here. Okay, they're coming in from outside, but it's not like travelling from, say, Alpha Centauri to here. They're coming from another reality entirely, okay? Another dimension. Is it dimensional? It's hard to say. We just call it the void. Barry and I just call it, they come from the void. Because what is there? There is nothing. There's nothing. It's empty, zero, next. There's nothing there. But that's what they have to inhabit if they're not inhabiting a body. If, they're not, if they haven't latched on to something, that's where they must stay and they hate it. They hate it like poison. They just don't like being there. Well, the Greeks so called it the void too. Uh, you know, uh, I yeah, think the yeah, yeah. I think the Norse called it the, the chaos, but you know, not, yeah, yeah. not much chaos, difference. Yeah. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same thing. When they um, just, when they when they inhabit a deceased body that's within the two weeks, how long is that body usable to them for forever, or is is it another human lifespan? Like how how long? Like let's say I drop dead and and and. Of them inhabits my body. How long can they live in my body? They won't inhabit a dead body. Okay, the body has got to be alive. Otherwise, it's absolutely no good to them. It's because they're not going to jump into a lump of dead flesh because they're no use to them. It's not even a haven. No. They're quite happy to, to, to move into a living body because it, it, it get, it, it's, going to, it's got a lifespan that can do, do what's going to do and they can make it do what it And the thing is that the person that they've inhabited wouldn't be aware that they are inhabited, that they have been possessed. They'll carry, they, they'll do stuff as a scientist, they will carry whatever function has been ascribed to them, okay, by them. And they'll think it's them that's doing this to themselves, it's what they said, that's not. They have actually, if you like, programmed the body to do this. But but you, you will not know that they are there. Although sometimes if you if you if you're beside someone or close to someone and you get the impression there's something wrong, there's something not quite right about this person, it's almost certain that your spirit has recognized or your soul mm-hmm. recognized the existence of another one and, and they know this is right. So in that in that respect, your soul or your your soul will try and keep you safe, and that'll let you know that there's something not quite right about that guy or this or this woman or whatever. That there's something not quite right about them because they are inhabited by them, one of them. So let's just say one of them inhabits me, um, and I I sense something. I don't know they're there, but maybe they bring something from the other body. I mean, is that deja vu? That you know. So it, is that what past lives might be? That, that that even though you don't know that that they are part of either them or the prior lives they were in makes it somewhere to that that similar to that same part of you that senses the danger. That's a very plausible theory. I, yeah, yeah, it's, it's entirely possible. Yeah, I mean, obviously Barry and I can't give you all the answers because we don't know all the answers because. We're going to have to revisit the book at some point because I've come up with a whole bunch of stuff that we can actually you know, add to it, you know, bunch it up a little bit, put more detail into it. But the book is going to be revisited pretty shortly, we think, and we're going to actually do a rewrite on it and add some stuff in. But what you just said, yeah, that's entirely possible. But is it, is it a fact? I don't know if it's a fact or not, but it sounds as if it could be. Okay. Um, so what is the deception of the gods and the men? They're liars, okay? 
they're deceivers. They'll tell you basically what you want to hear. Okay, so they are gods to us, as far as we're concerned. They have the same reach, the same power as a god. Okay, because they're godlike, if you like, as far as we're concerned. Because we're just pretty humble lots of meat that happen to be able to animate and think for ourselves and stuff. But they are selling, they are telling us lies in order to serve their own agenda. Basically, and that, that's that's where the deceptions come from because they are in, they are the perfect liar. It's a bit like Satan saying Satan's the father of lies. Uh, you know, that, 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 that's one you probably heard before. They could be Satan if you want to put it that way. They could also be God for that matter. It would it doesn't they can be anything that they want to be, and they can can shape you to regard them as what anything they want you to see them as. If that makes any sense. So they. Uh, they, they control the agenda from start to finish. Are, are they monolithic of agenda, or are there like subdivisions? Are they individual, or is it like a collective? No, it's not a collective. Um, although they do, once once they go back to the void, you know they haven't been able to stay here any longer for whatever reason. They've got to go back until until they get the chance to come back here again. They, when they go back, will download what they've learned. In the void, and they'll download it. That's what that's what I meant when I mentioned the Akashic records. Oh, okay. It's impossible. We could actually argue that the void is is, is the Akashic records, sure. you know, or their version of it. Sure, of course. Um, do you have any idea if there's any number of lives that they can? I mean, you just said that sometimes they can they can inhabit other bodies, and it's funny because I had written down that question. I mean, I was thinking of you know witches. Are, are said to have nine lives. Actually, cats that have nine lives, but people got that backwards. It's how how many times a witch can go into the same cat before the cat dies. Um, yeah. <laughs> it, it, I mean, is it maybe that that these them they can only do this nine times? Is is or is is that just you know I'm, I'm putting I'm finding two plus two and equaling four when it's apples and oranges completely. I think they can do this an indefinite number of times. Okay, I'm trying, I don't think they're actually. Incidentally, what, when you're talking about witches, you've heard of the witches familiar, no doubt, which is, which is these, you know, and, and most witches are supposed to be familiar. The function of the familiar, as far as I can gather, there's absolutely nothing to do with what we're talking about, it's just an interesting point. But the familiar, as far as, as, far as I'm, I'm led to understand, is what the witch used to actually to hide their soul in. Because... The familiar could get away at the road. They, they could be off. They could take off, but the witch could hide their soul in that familiar. An enemy that attacked them wouldn't get their soul. It's just, it's just one of these things that, you know, that crop up from time to time. But the, the familiars were there for a specific purpose, and the, the specific purpose was to act as a, as a, a hiding place for, for the witch's soul. But that, that, that's got nothing to do with what we're talking about. Just a throwaway. I have a, I have an interesting. Th- well, I think it's interesting, um, and I, and so I'll just say. So, okay, so I'm sure you're familiar with all of. You know, I'm sure you've studied lots of things, and you're familiar that the ancient Sumerian kings. You know, some of them ruled for sixty four thousand years, and the Egyptian yeah, yeah. houses of dynasties and pharaohs. You know, similar lengths of time. Of course, in in the Bible, you had people living, you know, Methuselah nine hundred and sixty nine years, and then post flood, you know, you know, God sort of set the limit at one hundred and twenty years. I'm wondering. Follow. Stick with me if you can. If this makes any sense, that, that maybe them were 
elongating lives of people, but other people were figuring that out that, 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 you know, they live to be 80, you know, or 90 or 50 or whatever it was. And then there's these people living hundreds of years. And, and so it became too easy to figure out who the them were. So they're like, eh, we better, we better stick to a normal lifespan and, and then move on. It would certainly make a lot of sense. But then again, you could argue that perhaps Methuselah wasn't a human being at all. Perhaps you could argue that Methuselah was not one of them, but Methuselah was something else entirely. You could you can go down the ancient astronaut route here and say, you know, what was Methuselah an, you know, an ET? You can go, once you start riffling through the Bible, especially the Old Testament, you start going into all sorts of diverse areas that actually fit the, the, ancient, the ancient astronaut um, theory very well indeed. And then point of fact, later on this month, I'll be attending the, the Awakenings Expo in a place called Blackpool. One of the speakers is Giorgio Tiscalis. God bless Giorgio. And also Eric Vandanikin is coming across as well. Sure. He's the two main speakers. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's the godfather. Yeah, well, the thing is, Eric is now about 87 years of age. So he's, he, the, the guy is cracking on a bit now. So um, how long he can keep on going is anybody's guess. But I would say that Giorgio is lining himself up to step in once, once, once Eric sort of flaps off into the, into the you know, ancient arsenal areas in the sky. Once he's gone, I think Giorgio's going to step in there. That would be my guess. Yeah, I'd, I'd love an introduction if you if you don't mind. <laughs> well, I, I, I've never actually met the guy. Oh, okay. Just, I'll, 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 I'll be meeting him later on this month uh, when we're at because the actual uh, the expo, the, the the Awakenings Expo, is organised by a, a group. Uh, Zohar, the Zohar Entertainment sure. Group. Mm-hmm. And I'm involved with Zohar peripherally because I've edited a magazine called Phenomena. I've edited this for about eight, nine years now, and I think it'll be something like two million downloads a month, which is pretty good. And um, it's phenomenamagazine.co.uk. Um, it's, it's well worth a look. The magazine is free. It's 100% free. There's no catches to this. It's a free magazine. And you can go into the into the archives and download any and all of the magazines if you want. But it's phenomenamagazine.co.uk. It is the address of the magazine. And it's a damn good magazine. Seriously, it's a damn good magazine. Well, I'm going to be in the UK... Uh, for a conference in October, um, so I'm sort of like the official interviewer, and it's called the Nephilim okay. Anthropology Conference, and I think it's also affiliated with Zohar, and that's uh, it's it's Nephilim Anthropology. Uh, uh, oh, it's Nacon, and it's dot. Uh, UK.co as well. It's at Eventbrite. Um, but oh, Gaia. Is it Gaia.com? Is it Gaia? I don't think it's Gaia yet. I think it's it's Zohar, but it's a Reverend Dr. David uh, Parry, uh, and he's, he's sort of the um, uh, spiritual father of it, or, you know, the, 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 oh, okay. the force behind it. But I think Zohar is involved. I don't think Gaia is. I could be mistaken on that. But, you know, it's, it's you know, it's, it's, it's similar, uh, but it, it's focusing on the Nephilim. But, I mean, some of the speakers there adopt sort of your theory of them as, you know, sort of the Nephilim are 
these non-corporeal, basically demons that that uh, inhabit bodies, which is you know is, is I mean aside from using the word demons instead of them, it's you know it's basically the same concept. I mean, one is just makes it related to religion, the other doesn't. I mean, aside, you know, or, or and you're not even eliminating that. You're just you're just not trying to put it in that bucket. But I don't know. You might find it, find it interesting, and uh, sounds like it's sort of uh, probably a lot of the same folks would go to both. Anyway. Um, Let's get back to uh, the book. Um, so the them are the are the deceivers, and the, the and they're the deceivers because they're also you know taking place of the gods. Obviously, where the men though sometimes they are as well. Um, and the book tracks. I mean, it's it's not terribly different than the myth of the Anunnaki. It's just uh, less. Sure. Uh, it's just that's been sort of anthropomorphized. I guess is is the word. Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's that's really interesting. Um, the, the, the incidentally, the Anunnaki, mm-hmm. maybe them as well. That that may be another face of them. Yeah, because no, I think so. These things are absolutely ubiquitous. I mean, they are everywhere. They are they are so embedded in our culture, in our past, and in our future. It's, we can't see them because we're looking at them. You know, it's, it's, they are so embedded that. Uh, they are literally everywhere, absolutely ubiquitous, absolutely everywhere. And we, we couldn't... I could go out, I could go out of the house and, and, and be talking to somebody, that could be one of them, that could be them talking to, and I wouldn't know it. It's just another human being, as far as I'm concerned. But they, as long as they're inhabiting the other human being, they know exactly what they're doing and they know exactly what they want. And it's like they say, nothing happens by chance. But they... they Every development, every scientific development that's ever come about is because they wanted it to happen. They have pushed us in that direction until they come up with someone who will actually invent it for them and on their behalf. So I think it's fair to say that um, anything that happens is because they want it to happen. And I've no doubt any technology that they don't want to happen just won't happen. It's going to be not be a benefit in some way or another to them. They just won't let it happen. It won't be developed. Yeah, yeah that's the best way to put it. Well, this shows had a lot of guests that, that have, you know, that have noticed that the descriptions of fey folk abductions are almost indecipherable from UFO or alien abductions. It's just, it's just you know, the technology, I guess, that, you know, the folks could envision at the time. Um, so that, you know, that those parallels are, you know, it, it, it's it's almost in, in the common sector. Um I, I, I was just wondering if, uh, you know, and even if you look at some of the, the myths, like especially the Greek gods, how, you know, Zeus would come down or whatever, it's, it, 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 it's not terribly different either. I mean, so there's a, there's a lot of overlap there. Um, I, I, I'm wondering um, the UFO sightings or the unidentified aerial phenomena, uh, are these actual vessels that they use, or is this sort of like a maybe a, an after effect that the people interpret as a pre effect uh, after they've been possessed? I, I you know, I, I, I how, how do you describe? How do you tie that? And especially with all the, I mean, we've seen all the the the, the you know the, the Navy pilots, you know, from the British uh, yeah. and the yeah. Americans, yeah. and the, you know, uh, you know, basically showing these things. Uh, do you think they're tied in, or or might that be something else entirely? Well, we're starting to move into this. this is one one of the tubs that I like to thump occasionally. Okay, um, 
If you're talking about the things of the minutes of the tech tags and stuff, yeah, mm-hmm. I think I got a link to a look at something related to that. Now, I think these tech tags are 99.5% sure that they're ours. Okay, they're not theirs, they're ours. Okay, it's almost certain. And don't ask me where, where I'm getting this information because, because I mean, it's a lot of this is just speculation and guesswork on my part. But I'm pretty sure that, that, that A, they're not manned, okay? They're, they're drones of some sort, okay? And the power source is somewhere on the electromagnetic uh, frequency spectrum, okay? Almost certain that the, the, the drive or how these things are powered is electromagnetic in nature. They are drones, they're not manned, which is why they can do what they do. But I'm 99.9% sure that these things are ours. Okay. No connection then to what we're talking about. Okay, so so back towards the the beginning of the presentation, you talked about AI and how... I, I, you know, the the inference or the thought was that if we were able to, were guided to, were able to build AI, I don't know if you were thinking like uh, androids or just, you know, machines that they can inhabit their consciousness. So that's, then they could, they could basically be immortal. They, they're already immortal, but they don't have to jump from body to body, you know, and sometimes be stuck in the void for a while or whatever it is. Um so is is that the singularity? Do they is it like Avengers: Age of Ultron? Are they are they trying to get? Do they want you know mobile droids that you know like C three POs that have legs or whatever? Or is it just they could live in the internet? Well, that's one way of looking at it. But I do tend to think that they would want to move around. But I suppose if the AI was like. How do you download consciousness? I don't know. Don't ask me because I don't know. I haven't a clue. But if we are able to to create some sort of matrix that they can inhabit and it's a form of consciousness, it's not like they're like displacing a consciousness for them to move into, which is what they're doing, you know, when they're moving a human body. This would be just like a big blob of, of, of nothing. They can move into and they become it, okay, and it becomes them. And it, it's, it, it's, it exists artificially and it exists, it's pretty well immortal. So I don't think they would need to move around if they could exist as a consciousness in our reality because if they were able to do that, I'm pretty sure they could do what they needed to do just to want it to happen. In effect, sorry, in effect, you're bordering on magic now. Okay, what we would call magic, because I think Alistair Crowley, you know, the wickedest man in the world and all the rest of it, in fact, a real presentation called The Last Sorcerer, which is about Crowley. But he said that, that magic is virtually just, you put, the modern way of putting it is you're editing reality through, through, through the power of thought, through wanting to do it. And to some extent, in AI, we can do that anyway. Okay, um, I think there have been, well, how can I put this? The Stargate project, you know, Project Stargate, you know, which is, which is about remote viewing. I know that, the, that part of that experiment, when they were weaponizing it, was to try and make it, to try and remote influencing was part of this as well, okay? It wasn't just remote viewing, it was remote influencing. This was the real prize 
that they wanted to fight with the others was little. How to influence somebody to do what they wanted, what you wanted them to do. And I wanted people to be able to do this. And I think that's when I get pretty mixed up. And I, that's, I think that's when they had to shut the whole thing down. And, and well, officially they shut it down, shall we say. But I'm pretty sure that stuff like, because Stargate and remote viewing and remote influencing is so potentially powerful to use it as a military tool, I'm pretty sure that would be cut. That, that's still going on somewhere in the black. We just don't know what's there. So, yeah, that's what they put in. Okay, so there's nothing about occupying our meat puppets that's particularly desirable. It's not like they like drinking wine or whatever. They, it's just the best available option. But some sort of yep, some sort of global blockchain or whatever might would be uh, yep. a better, just as satisfying a solution. Okay, so yep. that obviously, so the AI, yeah, it's, it's literally the ghost in, in the machine. Then the machine, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, very interesting. Um, do, do, do you want to tell them about where they can find your books? Uh, you know, you already mentioned phenomena.uk.co. Um, is there anywhere else where they can uh, support your work or learn about your work, or uh, you and Mr. Well, Fitzgerald? Um, the easiest way to do it would be good to go to the magazine website because I list all my books are on the website. If you just go to Brian's books, click on Brian's books, that'll, that, that'll take, the, take the people. But some of them are out of print now. I mean, they've been around a few years and they're not all in print. But by no means of the imagination, I mean, Philip has been good enough to take. He, he printed, you know, he published um, Deceptions of Gods and Men. He's also publishing, when it comes out later on, the Shared Book of Secrets. Coincidentally, Book of Secrets, I landed quite very lucky with that because... I know a guy called Warren Croyle at Reality Entertainment based in California, and uh, Warren's uh, he's one of the good guys. At least he pays my royalty checks, so he, he must be one of the good guys. He still pays them. So, um, yeah, I asked Warren would he be interested in, in publishing, you know, um, Book of Secrets. And he had it, and I sent him the MS and he had a look at it. He said, Look, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to make this into, into a DVD. And I thought, oh, great. You know, so he, he's, brought, he's bringing it out as a, as a DVD. I think it's, it's actually out now in point of like Book of Secrets. And um, it's exactly the same cover for the DVD as is what I'm using on the book. We came with that arrangement because we can, we can allow them to sort of reflect off each other and help the sales, you know, in one, one way or another. But um, it was from one. He actually commissioned two more scripts off me. So, uh, yeah, could you write a script? Matt, could you write a script? And I saw I knocked up a couple more scripts for him. And um, I've been lucky to do it. But it's reality entertainment. And it's what it is. He, he is actually, I think it's out on DVD just now, Book of Secrets. It's part of it. In fact, I can I can show you the book if you, I can show you the cover if you want. Hang on. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, sure. I see a book of secrets, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Very good. That's, that's, the, that's the DVD. Well, the book, when it comes, Phil's going to be publishing the book, and it'll be coming in. It's, um, some of the, there's a lot more in the book than there is in the DVD, I can assure you that. I mean, there's a lot, more, a lot more stuff in the book. So it strikes me, I... I I know that when we spoke earlier, I, I sort of promised you that we wouldn't go much over an hour. We, we have. Um, but I one question just 
charmed into my head. I, I actually thought of it earlier that I forgot it. Now I found it again. And I don't want to let you go without it because it'll be bothering me. So the portal, what we're talking about, I mean, I assume it's not the only portal out there, but that doesn't matter. The point is that we don't know exactly how to open it. But if it's tied to them, I guess my question is, do we want to open it? I mean, does that mean more of them will be able to rush in? I mean, how does it, how is it helpful? Or is there like an anti them from that portal that may be uh, less demonic and more angelic or, or are we, you know, we playing with Pandora's box? Jeff, you've raised a great point there because the mediums who were with us when we found out about the portal, when we were using the frequency, we were actually trying to open it using, using that specific frequency, sound frequency. They were a bit cagey about the whole deal because it's a two-way street, okay? Once you open this thing, things come out, can go in and things can come out. And they were a bit very, very cagey about opening it to start to, at all. They, didn't, they just didn't want it open. But it was too late with that tape because I was all fired up and ready to go. And we, you know, we switched on the laptop, generated the frequency. We got this, the, the, the new something was happening. Well, that, that was, that was, I don't know if I mentioned this, but, oh yeah, I did. The first time we were there, we were standing on this thing. I was getting lifted up, off the, literally coming off the floor. I mean, I, I wasn't like floating about in the air or anything like that, but the, the upward drive was so powerful. I could feel it under my heels and it was pushing me up off the floor. So there was something, that's when I realised there was something very, very special about this location. And it was one of the mediums who was there to say, that's a portal. That, that is a portal. We've got to be very, very careful what we're doing with this thing. And that originally got my mind racing, and that's when I started deciding that we're going to do something about this. Because the mediums who were with us in 2006 were not the same mediums who were with us in the 1995, 1994, around then. They weren't the same mediums, so they didn't know. It purposely didn't take them. <laughs> Just in case they tried to stop it, you know. Well, I know that the show is called Garden of Doom, but I'm, I'm like starting to get a little worried that all the people who are trying to do resonate, you know, resonance testing and pyramids and and using ayahuasca and peyote and whatever to try to get themselves yeah, closer yeah, yeah. to the spiritual realm, they're really just hearkening in their own doom. They're they're really accelerating. Their own. It's like going to make it Halloween, you know, 365 days a year, or 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 like the you know Ghostbusters when the when the when the door opened and all the ghosts came everywhere. I mean, I. Yeah. I I don't mean to be comical about, but it's, you know, once, once the door is open, uh, you know, we don't have the Ghostbusters. We don't, we don't have anyone to trap them and close it back in. Well, can I just put it on this, Jeff? Um, sure. Some of the stuff I've been involved in, I wouldn't get involved in it. I just wouldn't do it because the risks are too great. But as far as the portal in Rosslyn Chapel is concerned, I would really love to go back and, and, and mess with this a more, just to see what I could do with it. Because this isn't a portal out in the middle of the Andes, or you know, this is a this 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 is a portal that's like thirty miles away from where I'm sitting now. Okay, and I can go there and I can touch it and I can I can hold it. And I can I can you know I can, it's, it's stone, but it's there, and I know exactly. I think I know how to open it, and uh, I would like to try, but. As things stand just now, the Rosslyn trustees just ain't going to let it happen. They just wouldn't even consider it. 
Well, well, Rumsfeld didn't think that he was doing anything wrong when he was helping Dracula. So, I, <laughs> so I don't know. This is just it. Just sounds. I mean, I, you know, it's sort of like curiosity killed the cat. I don't know. You, you got me a little worried, but uh, I don't know. I don't know what's on the other side. There is one thing I will tell you that way back in the day, when people, you know, when Russell Chapel, you know, when books like um, The Holy Blood and the Holy Grail, something similar, you know, when books brought Russell Chapel to the public attention, they started picking up all sorts of stuff. And, you know, there was a guy, a French guy, decided he wanted to get to the vaults of Russell Chapel, and they wouldn't, obviously, they're not going to let him. So he, he hired a tunneling team and he went into the field because Rosley Chapel stands on the edge of a hill which runs down pretty steeply. He had hired a tunneling firm to try and tunnel in from this field through into the, in, into the crypt, into the vaults of Rosley Chapel. And this was actually going on. They were actually trying to do this. But the, cha- the, the, the chapel got to learn about it. They asked them to cease stopping the system. Very, very quickly, and it ended up the chapel actually bought the field at the back so nobody could do anything, you know, could get in there and then do stuff. But this guy was actually going to try and break into the, the vault of the chapel just to see what was there. Wow, I, I know that we've had the least. Sorry, go ahead. No, just a, this is going to roll on and roll on. Um, another reason that I realized that there was something very odd about the chapel is that the physical gateway to heaven. Is, is, is supposed to be there, down in the crypt, down, 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 down in the vaults beneath the chapel, because this is why I, this is what I thought, is, is this physical gateway to heaven, is this a reference to the portal that's in there? I wondered, because I'd heard about this, this um, physical doorway to heaven before I realised there was a portal there. So I think one is maybe, uh, if you like, uh, a recognition of the fact that there is something that, that, that can, you can go from there to elsewhere. And th- th- this is how it was first represented as a physical doorway to heaven. So perhaps, you know, that, that's just one of these things. <laughs> the stories associated with Rosalind Chapel are legion. There's hundreds of stories associated with it. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that I've had at least three prior shows where Rosalind Chapel has come come up. I think one with uh, Andrew Goff, who we the show's called the Pusa. Oh, Andrew, yeah, I know Andrew. Oh, you know Andrew? Andrew yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, he's part of the, yeah, yeah. the Philom Anthropology Conference. I, I figured that there'd be some overlap. Another was Gretchen Cornwall. I'm pretty sure that, that she mentioned there was either her or Arthur Far- Farham or both, because uh, they were both talking a lot about Templars and their journey from sort of the, the Middle East to, or towards North America. Um, sure. Anyway, I, I thank you very much for your time. I'm still worried about this whole portal thing, um, uh, <laughs> but it, 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 it seems I'm not going to be able to stop everyone. And since the show's called Garden of Doom, maybe I don't want them to. Maybe I shouldn't. Maybe maybe that's my brand. That's on, on brand. Anyway, anyway, folks, you can you can go to phenomena.uk.co, as you said, the magazine history. Yeah. Phenomenamagazine.co.uk. Okay, thank you. Phenomenamagazine.co.uk, um, uh, Flying Disc Press, and Brian Allen and uh, I'm sorry, and Barry Fitzgerald. I keep wanting to say Barry Allen because that's the Flash's real name, the superhero. So okay. B- Brian Allen and Barry Fitzgerald, they both have their own websites. They they the this is uh, a collaboration, obviously, but, but they both have their own books and works. And apparently, Mr. Fitzgerald was on a uh, TV show for a long time, so you can probably find all of that stuff. So you can yep. follow their work, you can support them, you can buy their books. Um, and we thank you so much for your time and sharing the book 
book is Deception of Gods and Men's, uh, Gods and Men, not Gods and Men's. Uh, and the forthcoming book is The Book of Secrets. Uh, so we'll yeah. be looking for that soon. Um, again, thank you so much for coming on the show and, and, and giving us a part of your Sunday. And I uh, hope everything is okay over there. Are, are you in Scotland or are you in England? In Scotland. In Scotland. Yeah. All right. Well, good. Oh, over Hadrian's Wall. Okay. Um, well, over Hadrian's Wall. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Excellent. Um, all right. Look out for picks. Oh, yeah, we'll do. And listen, Jeff, thank you very much for, for, for allowing me on and allowing me to say a little bit and stuff. You know, it's always good. That was great. I, I appreciate it. And I'm glad that uh, some of my questions actually were things that, that you may look into in the future. And feel free to credit me that, uh, you know, or use them. That's <laughs> all fun. All right. Thanks again. Have a great rest okay. of your day. God bless. Take care, man. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay. So we just uh, disconnected with uh, Mr. Allen. So... Hope you enjoyed that, found it interesting. Hope you'll check out uh, his work and Mr. Fitzgerald as well and all the stuff on Flying Disc Press. We've had a bunch of authors from Flying Disc Press and we have, uh, we have several others scheduled in the future, including Philip Mantle himself. Um, so, and, uh, so also would ask you again to give us five stars on Apple and Spotify if you have the time. Write a review, uh, share with your friends and family or anybody who might be interested in this, any Facebook groups or Twitter groups that might be interested in what I would call the esoteric, the arcane, the occult, ufology. We ha also have some history and, and philosophy and, and stuff like that. The, you know, we, 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 Keep it grounded, but we also go into the alternative as well and uh, try to take it all seriously because, you know, we do take it seriously, except when uh, we reviewed Wonder Woman 84, which we absolutely, well, we took that review seriously, but then take the movie seriously. Anyway, um, hope you have a great rest of your day and hopefully you'll be listening in next week or checking out our past catalog. So everyone, see you soon. In the Garden now of Doom. Now the radio says, well, you better look out. Here come the little green men. And if they land in your backyard, then you better not let them in. But I just ignored my radio and I stepped out on my lawn. And there was a couple of the little green men. They were swinging it arm in arm. Singing, well, I knew that I should have gone to bed When I took one look at their pointed little heads I figured any minute now I'd be dead If they caught me hanging round But it seemed so far back to my stairs That I just commenced to say my prayers I heard this funny little beat of theirs And I started to dig the sound It went Then they danced around for an hour or so And then discovered me And one of the men said Double X, double O, a double O, jigger O, B Which means take me to your leader boy But I'll tell you in advance Up on the moon, now we don't have jive So we came down to earth to dance Sing
through every U.S. radio station The little green men spoke to our nation Then we caught a translation of a funny little tune Saying, see you later, alligator Plant you now and dig you later Up with the itty-bitty escalator And they went back to the moon Singing Ba-da-loo-la, ba da loo la 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 ba da loo